HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week's episode of Meat and 3 is inspired by the reemergence of Cicada Brood 10. We're talking all about insects. Some people are calling crickets the gateway bug because that's a great introduction to what edible insects is all about. So we found detectable levels of cesium-137 in 68 of 122 total honey samples that we had. Ah, what is that? Is it tarantula? No, what is it? It's a tarantula. Oh, and they're going to eat it? No, 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 no. Listen to Meat and 3 wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Yemisi Awosan, founder of Egusi Foods, a ready-to-heat soup starter and sauce brand inspired by West African ingredients like melon seed and groundnut, Nigerian honeybeans, and lemongrass. Egusi is available in the Northeast on Fresh Direct and Our Harvest, as well as at several New York City Whole Foods, the Park Slope Food Co-op, and you can buy it directly online for national shipping. Welcome. Hi, Ali. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited about this. Um, Yamisi, I just have to tell you, I'm so happy to have you on the show. I like think I fell in love with your packaging first. Then I started following you on Instagram and I just, I love the vulnerability and the honesty, but also knowing that you do not have any, like a team of content people, (laughs) the, the photos that you do, the recipes that you do, I know how hard that is to do. And you do such a beautiful job. I'm, I'm really, really jealous actually. (laughs) Thank you so much. In a good way, not in like a bad way. Jealous. Yeah, I I understand. Okay. Okay. Um, (laughs) so, so tell me a little bit. Um, I, I know you grew up in Nigeria. I know you came here, um, where did you land and, and what was the impetus? And, and, and tell me your story a little bit. 
Yeah, so um, I came to the United States in 1994, and um, I actually landed in Boston, Massachusetts, and mm -hmm. we came actually because my dad um, was a PhD, came to Northeastern for his PhD um, degree at Northeastern University in Massachusetts. And so five, I think it was about two years later, we joined him. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, like me and my sister were just talking about this the other day, uh, reminiscing about when we first landed here, we actually got into the United States uh, 4th of July. And mm, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so, and as we were driving through Storo Drive in Boston area, um, there was like, as soon as we kind of came out of like Storo Drive, because if you're familiar with Boston, you come in through Logan Airport and then go through Storo Drive and then you come out. And there were like mm -hmm. flags all over the place. And then like at nighttime, there was like fireworks. They were fireworks. you. Exactly. So <laughs> me and my sister, my siblings were like, wow, how did dad like make this happen? Then realize oh my gosh. Fourth of July. No, that's so, amazing. Yeah. Were you, how did you feel about coming? Like, were you psyched? Were you nervous? Were you both? Was it a bummer because you were a teenager? Like, what was the... Yeah, I was I, actually I was really excited because I miss my dad so much, mm, you know, when mm -hmm. he left Nigeria to come to the uh, U.S. because he um, like he couldn't bring all of us when he, he initially was coming. Right. So like and that was the first time we've ever like kind of as a family unit not been together. Yeah. So I was super excited to come uh, to the United States and meet my dad and like be able to like see him again. So I was excited about that. But I was also sad at the same time because I have a bunch of friends, right, that I was leaving behind. Yeah. And also I had two older siblings that were also not able to come with us because they mm -hmm. were much older at that time. Mm -hmm. So in turn, they couldn't come with us. So it was kind of like happy, but also sad at the same time because I was leaving my friends and my, you know, my siblings behind, but also looking forward to seeing my dad again. Yeah. yeah. Were you thinking, and for some, you know, I just, I, I'm, I don't have this, experience. So I, I literally can't even imagine what it would be like to, to leave. I mean, I've never left New York city. Like that's, oh, wow. that's yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, I went to college, but that doesn't count. Um, and I mean, I guess the question is like, was the plan I'm going and I'll, I'm going to stay there and make my life there was the plan. I'm going to go and maybe get, you know, extract some, you know, some education and some new experiences and then, and then come back or like, did you, were you thinking that far ahead or you were just like, I just want to be there, see my dad and yeah, then I will figure it out. Yeah. I don't, I think I was not even thinking too in depth about it at all. It was just like, we're going to go see my dad. And I, I guess my plan was kind of contingent of whatever my parents end up doing. Mm -hmm. uh, if my parents decided, you know what, it's five years, we're all coming back to Nigeria. Then we were all going to kind of come back. And except if we have to like, you know, be doing our school in here. So I never thought too far ahead, but was just like, okay, I'm right. moving to the U.S. and I'm going to go to school and I get to see my dad. And that was kind of like what it was all about. And then yeah. I guess as we kind of like stayed here much longer and it was like, oh, okay, you know what? This is where life <laughs> is going right. to be now, you know, and this is home now for us, you know? Right. Um, you talk a lot about your mother mm -hmm. on your social media. It's really yeah. weird to feel like you know someone. <laughs> like, I'm like, we're best friends. But I know, like, right? We've never met and you don't know me from Adam. But like, I do feel like I can, I pick up on these threads mm -hmm. and, and one of them is sort of the importance of your mother. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, she just seems very grounding and she seems very kind and yeah. she seems... Um, she just seems kind of like this, this like little magical voice in your ear as, mm -hmm. as you're building your business. And I guess, um, one question I had is like when, when 
she came to the United States, was she primarily cooking Nigerian food? Um, was she experimenting with more American food? How did you feel? You know, what, what, what was the food like in your house? And then like, what was your food experience like coming from a different country? Yeah. So like when we were in Nigeria, right, my mom cooked traditional Nigerian food. But one of the things that she also did when we were in Nigeria was that because um, she grew up in the southwestern part of Nigeria, while she, uh, we were born and raised in the northern part of Nigeria. Mm-hmm. So and she is a great uh, granddaughter of a cocoa farmer. Mm-hmm. So during the summer growing up, she always like went to her grandfather's farm, you know, in Elisha. Right which is much further southwest of Nigeria. And mm-hmm. um, they, that's where she grew up, like like during the summer and helping out. So there mm-hmm. was a different bunch of food that she will, she will eat during that time. And growing up in our household, when she travels there, she will come back with, you know, different types of um, beans that mm-hmm. they grew in the southwestern part of Nigeria. Or there's different types of food that I've never tried before. But she's like, you know what? You have to try it. So one thing about my mom was like she was always experimenting or mm-hmm. bringing food that you don't necessarily see around. And right. she always, um, uh, she, it's a quote in, in Yoruba. It's like, Onje it's like food that people have been eating back in the olden days that people mm-hmm. don't really eat now. So she will let us try it. So for me, she always like let us try different things. So in turn, that helps out to kind of, you know, like, you know, even though it's not common dishes that you'll see around, but right. there are a few dishes that are different. And then also even I think about uh, kombucha, people make kombucha now. Mm-hmm. And me and my older sister were talking about how my mom in the 80s, she was making kombucha. I don't know who taught her right. that, but she figured it out, right? Or soybeans <laughs> milk, you know, in 1988 right. when she had my younger brother, the same thing. So she was always experimenting in things. And when we moved to the United States, she was just more, more mainly cooking Nigerian food, you know, like the traditional Nigerian food. So right, when right. I left to go to college, it was kind of like me missing home from that yeah. Nigerian food that she was making. But then for me, in turn, I started actually watching a lot of like food channel network, food, um, mm-hmm. food channel food um, networks. So in turn, I was learning different dishes, um, like kind of Italian cooking or mm-hmm. like French cooking because I was watching different food like celebrities like right. chefs that were on the webs on on the channel yeah. so in turn i was incorporating what my mom taught me in at home because at home i didn't cook really with her right, i just helped right. her around the kitchen but then i'll call her when i was in college because i was literally missing home right. and missing home was like i was missing the food as well so in turn because i don't know how to cook it but i've just watched her cook it so i'll right. call her and i'm like my mom i'll tell my mom i'm like how do you make pounded yam, for example? How do you make a goosey? And she'll give me the list and I'll go to the market, get what I can get. And the stuff that I couldn't get, she'll have it sent to me. Mm-hmm. And then in turn, I'll just make it and be on the phone with her and she'll walk me through it. So in turn, I was able to learn that way and also incorporate the things I was right. watching on TV as well. And it sounds like you weren't just cooking for yourself. From what I understand, you were cooking for other people too in your dorm having little dinner parties, uh, you know, were you primarily cooking for other West African students and and giving them a taste of home? Or were you cooking for, you know, uh, people from all over and exposing them to flavors that they hadn't ever had or both? Yeah, it was like, it was both like in terms of like all my friends from college were just from all walks of life. Mm -hmm. I had friends that were like from Ghana, like the Korean or like Vietnamese, you know, mm-hmm. or like even white from America, you know, or like African-American. So there was a 
whole bunch of us, you know, and one of the things that was really great was um, the dorm, the second dorm I lived in, in college, my freshman year was called Knowlton. Mm -hmm. And it was like an international student dorm. Mm -hmm. I don't even understand why I got into that dorm because I'm not an international student, but I was in (laughs) in that uh, dorm and that dormitory has a kitchen. So we always have like studies, right? So, but because we have a study group, so in turn, because I'm already making dinner or breakfast or whatever I'm making, mm-hmm. so I'll just make a big batch of it, and then we'll all sit down and just eat together. So it wasn't it's, just yeah. me, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking. I, I, you know, I wonder out of every hundred founders who found a food company, I would say over half of us were the people in our college dorms who were cooking. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like, cause I was that person. Like even, it's so funny. I mean, this is sorry to just take the interview for a second, but okay. like, I got a, an email from a friend of mine that I haven't seen since 1996. Mm. And she was like, she didn't know she was, she'd been buying my sauces in, you know, Colorado and then I didn't, didn't know that it was me. And then was like, <laughs> of course, this makes so much sense. Cause I can still remember when you would have those big parties. Cause I ended up living off campus and I had this yard and yes. I would just like make vats uh-huh. of like potato salad and like random <laughs> stuff. But you know, it's funny. Cause I, I like in my head, I can, there are like at least six or seven people that I've interviewed in the last couple of years that were those people, you know, we, we, we liked bringing people together, liked bringing, you know, flavor. We liked creating, you know, sort of community around food. Um, it's kind of a common denominator, I guess. Exactly. That is so true. It's like, like it's, I can totally relate to what you were saying because when I graduated from college, right, because I was cooking all this food mm-hmm. and a bunch of my friends, we all kind of, because we're all over the country, actually all over the world, because some of us went back to South Africa and some right. went back to Ghana and some people are here all over the country here. So in turn, my friends will call me and be like, Yemisi, can you please like, you know, ship me, you know, your Igusi soup? And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't have a means of shipping that. <laughs> right. It's How perishable. How am I supposed to do that? <laughs> How am I supposed to do that, right? <laughs> so, and this was, you know, because I graduated in 2000 and, yeah, 2001. Mm-hmm. And so for me, during that time, I don't even feel like there was a lot of, a way to even ship perishable food as easily right. as we can. Like, even though it's still hard now, but it's a bit difficult right. during that time period, yes. right? So in turn, I was like, I can't do that. So I'll give them recipes. Here's the and recipe. Then, exactly. Yeah. And they'll make it. Or like, even when I go and visit, I'm in the kitchen cooking for them, right. you know, and <laughs> yeah. I love it because for me, I'm like, I just, I love bringing people together and I love talking about my yeah. culture. So I feel like mm-hmm. I was, that was kind of a vehicle for me, like to talk about my culture while sharing the food with other people. And I find myself doing that even as I move from different cities for my career, because I had a corporate uh, career that I came from. I was a buyer at um, different retail company before I ventured into food. So in turn, whenever I'm around in those areas, like whenever I'm moving to new cities, I don't necessarily know people, but the way I get to meet people is through the food I'm cooking and I'll just have different theme parties. Like, okay, bring your, you know, make your own dessert night or make your own pizza night or like whatever cultural (laughs) night I'm doing. So in turn, my friends that I've built during that time will come and bring their friends as well. So a lot of people have kind of even told me over the years, like, oh yeah, I met this person at your ha- at your apartment when right. we came for that dinner, and then in turn they're still friends. I'm like, I just love that, you know, that because pe- food basically bring everybody together, and it's just like a fun memory 
yeah. to also build into that I, I love. So, <laughs> and, and it totally makes sense. I mean, a lot of people say like, well, you loved food so much. You were so, you were so into it. Why didn't mm-hmm. you make it a career? I don't mm-hmm. think people really understand it, it thinks of definite. I mean, I graduated in 1994. If you mm. graduated about 10 years later, the, mm-hmm. it was still not, it was still very hard mm-hmm. to just go into making a food business. Right. Yes. I mean, you, you, there was like, you could become a chef. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those of us who just love food, but weren't necessarily on that track, mm-hmm. there wasn't, there wasn't, it didn't feel like it's quite as easy as it is today, but no, it's not. <laughs> when you finally did decide, and cause I, I, I read, you know, so you're in Harlem, it's mm-hmm. 2017, right. And mm-hmm you decide, okay, I'm ready to leave my, my career and start this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you did some market testing. First of all, I mean, I know you saved up, <laughs> so I don't think people talk enough about how much money it costs to start businesses yep. and how much, and people just think it's going to like somehow, <laughs> you know, I have like a real chip on my shoulder about the way that startups are sort of portrayed as yeah. like, they just crushed it from the mm-hmm. get go. And now yep. they're, you know, selling their company for hundreds of millions of dollars. It doesn't exactly. work like that mm-hmm. for most of us. No. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'd love you to just talk about you know, that process, like you've made the decision, I'm going to go into this, but what did you do before you launched? What market testing, what development, what planning, what did you learn? Like, what are the things that you would say before you quit your day job, people listening, these mm-hmm. are a couple of things I recommend that you do. Yeah, definitely. So like one of the things that I did initially, like the process, even before I decided I was going to quit my job, took about, I think, almost either eight to 10 years from just talking to my family and friends. And one right. of the slogan my sister always says, she's like, just do it. Quit talking about it. And I'm like, right. well, I just need to figure out like how I'm going to be able to live while I'm doing that as yeah. well, you know? So then it became, okay, you know what, if you really are talking about it, like, and you figure out like your passion is bringing people together through food and talking about your culture. So now what is the next step that you need to take? So the next step was, okay, how do I start saving money? I'm like, okay, I get bonuses every year. And then there's also a couple of money that I'm like saving. You know, I have Mm -hmm. my, my Roth IRA and all that stuff that I kind of like started putting money in, like right when I graduated from right when I started working. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of beefed that amount up and started saving. And I saved for about two years worth of my salary. And then a couple of other monies I have, you know, around, um, and, um, one of the things that I started doing after even I started seeing that money was like, okay, I have this money, but it's not even enough because by nature, I'm so like, num- I'm numbers driven and I will look at the numbers. I'm like, okay, does this work? And then mm-hmm. if it doesn't work, I don't necessarily end up venturing out into what I needed to do. Right. So I started getting a bit nervous. Like, okay, I, I, I don't think I can save enough to be able to actually leave my job. And I started find myself even be more comfortable because, okay, I have this 401k, I have my health care and all those different things like that, the Mm -hmm. security. And then even like the fear of trying to talk to my parents about what I'm doing, because now I have to tell them, okay, this career that I had that they didn't want me to go into because I actually was a pre-med major (laughs) Mm -hmm. before I went into like fashion merchandising. And now I'm like, okay, I want to, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to now go into food. It's like, they're like, what are you doing again? Like food, that's like, why are you going into that? So for I've me, definitely heard that, especially <laughs> from a couple of like the, the like the African yes. entrepreneurs I've heard. There's mm-hmm. definitely a theme of 
wait, what, mm-hmm. you know, like you're not going to be a doctor. You're not going to exactly. go, you know, and mm-hmm. I mean, I guess there also, to some extent it's, you know, if a family has worked hard to come to America to sort of get mm-hmm. that type of education, and then they don't feel like the child is taking advantage of it. Even if the child is 30, <laughs> exactly. there, there's definitely, um, that pressure too, which, mm-hmm. you know, I, I understand makes a lot of sense. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I'm like, so like, you know, trying to tell them, you know, like I'm quitting and all that mm-hmm. stuff was like scary. Like you said, like, you know, they, like one of the thing is like, they want, they want you to live a better life than they have. That's right. what it, because they're handing you that by bringing you to this country, you know, to right. have a better life and have better prospects and stuff like that. So for them, food and cooking wasn't part right. of that plan, a you know, <laughs> it wasn't path. a professional career path for them. Right. So in turn, but like for me, after I've saved that, so I realized, okay, you know what? I still need to just go out and do what I need to do. Right. right. And uh, one of my, my sister also was telling me like, you yeah, see, you can save $2 million. You're still going to say there's not mm-hmm. enough money. And it's true right. because yeah. like you're saying earlier, the food industry like as the consumer package goods industry is super like capital consuming. Like you mm-hmm. need to like find a, like you, you just don't have enough. Like you have the cash flow issue once you start scaling and just right. different stuff like that. So for me, it's not necessarily about how much money I could save, but it's part of that. But then at the same time, I realized it was also a leap of faith for me. A mindset, um, yeah. <laughs> because by, yeah, exactly, mindset. Because by nature, for me, I want to see something that's factual before I make a leap, like make the decision. Right. But sometimes you just have to understand like, okay, you've prepared enough, then you have to just jump and do it, right? Yeah. So that's kind of like that leap of faith that I took in 2015. Uh, after I got my last bonus, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to quit. I'm going to leave. <laughs> I'm right. going to leave. Right. <laughs> so, and once I did leave, actually, I ended up still like, there was a, a consulting was, uh, mm-hmm. opportunity that came along that I ended up still um, doing. Like I was working with a company in Africa that uh, in Nigeria, actually, that wanted to open like a store, like a container store. So I mm-hmm. had to kind of like consult with them, um, do consultation with, with them with like the stri- building a strategy for them, mm-hmm. doing the buying and everything. So I was doing that. So that kind of, in a way, gave me supplemented, a, exactly yeah. supplemented income as I kind of like bridged a gap between the food industry as well as like, you know, being able to still put my foot on the, uh, in the other right. water as I go along. So that helped me. And I still do consulting up till now too, because right. a couple of companies right. come along. So I did that. So that's one thing. But then when I decided, okay, like I want to kind of start working on the food portion of it. So in 2014, um, there was a lot of um, different uh, online platforms that was coming online, uh, like Kitchen Surfing, Eat Feastly. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they were giving people opportunities to be able to actually provide services, like Personal Chef, you know, like Personal mm-hmm. Chef is like a luxury thing for like, you know, people that are well-to-do, right. while they feel like they want to be able to like, in a way, democratize it, you know, so that people can actually be able to have someone come to, over to their house right. and it doesn't need to be for a subset group of people. So that allowed me actually to be able to get on that platform, offer my service. And I specialized in mm. Nigerian food at that time. So-, so testing the market a little bit just to see, cause now, I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, I mean, I, I have a few friends from West Africa and mm-hmm. there's definitely, you know, 
it's, it's an interesting, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, you know, when Whole Foods says like top 10 trends for <laughs> 2021 West African flavors, like, first of all, we all know that like, that's a very large swath exactly. of, of area, right? But assuming that, you know, we are going to be like US centric, because the US, mm-hmm. we don't know how not to be US centric. It's, it's like one of our... One of our lesser appealing qualities is, <laughs> as a right. nation, but, um, you know, that's all well and good, mm-hmm. but that just because something is a flavor trend doesn't necessarily mean that there's like a market mm-hmm. that's big enough with enough demand to, to go, to go make it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, how did you, because as someone who, as someone who's like pretty numbers driven and factual, I mean, mm-hmm. all of this is a leap of faith. You can have yep. every single thing lined up perfectly. Yep. It's all a leap of faith, right? It but is. how did you get comfortable? There were just enough people that wanted to taste Nigerian food that it made you feel like, okay, if they, if there are enough people who want to taste it with my, you know, cooking, there will be enough people who want to taste it as a packaged product. Was yeah. that the thesis basically? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. That was a thesis because it was just like, okay, you know what? I've already moved it out of the realm of my friends and family, right? Right. Cooking for them. Mm-hmm. So now these are complete strangers on each right. uh, kitchen surfing and eat feastly. They've never, like, they don't know me. <laughs> so they could just yeah. like tell me we hate, we do not like the food at all. Yeah. But the feedback yeah. I was getting was like, okay, you know what? This is really good. Where else can I get it without having you come to either our corporate office to like do the cake mm-hmm. or to drop off for lunch or dinner? Or you coming over to our home. So that kind of validate my next step of like going in right. and starting a consumer package, um, good business. So <laughs> I love that. And mm-hmm. then, I mean, and I think that's just great advice across the board. Yes. Just go beyond your friends and family. We've talked about this before. And I think, I think it was the founder of Malai who was talking mm. about it too, but you know, if you have your friends and family, they're not going to want to tell you the cold, hard, honest truth. So (laughs) whatever it is that you're testing, test it with strangers. Mm -hmm. But then how did you get it off the ground? And was it always going to start off with soups? I know you were originally in glass jars. Like Mm -hmm. what were the steps that you took to go? Okay. So I, I have my money saved. I'm going to take the leap. I know that the people like this flavor profile, then what? So then I decided, okay, you know what, I, before even I started with the consumer package good, actually I had a different business model. Mm. The, the, the business model I had at that time was, um, um, the prepared food that was delivered, mm. uh, hot, mm-hmm. which was mm. kind of the same model as maple. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, and right before I launched actually, then maple and a couple of other companies around that time were kind of just folding and i was like wait a minute something's not going right (laughs) you know something's not going right so i started like even looking more deeper into like my own business model at that time and i realized Mm -hmm. okay you know what my kitchen is going to be uptown and Mm -hmm. a lot of my customers are downtown and Mm -hmm. i will be servicing them for lunchtime so how am i going to be able to get my product from uptown downtown like in time and yep. have it hot and just there's a lot of logistics to it oh, that felt like so wasn't like logistics. working <laughs> exactly that wasn't working right so with that that kind of gave me a halt so I kind of like took a hard stop and looked at everything over again I'm like okay 
what is it that I want? What is my end goal? Like, where, where do I want to get to? And my mm -hmm. end goal was always to have a consumer packaged goods because I wanted to reach as many people as possible mm -hmm. while making sure that the product is not, like the authenticity of the product is still there and it's not diluted. The, the flavor is not industrialized, but mm -hmm. you still feel mm -hmm. like it's food that you made at home or your mom will make it or you will make it, right? Yeah. So when I realized, okay, that's exactly what my end goal is. So I was like, but yeah, Missy, why are you going if this roundabout right. way before you got there, before you get there. So in yeah. turn, that kind of shifted me. And I actually ended up going to Nigeria. Like I took a break. I was like, you know what? I need to leave this here. And I took a break and went to Nigeria for about two months mm -hmm. and just like shut, shut down everything. And then I came back for fall. And in fall, that's when I actually um, ended up um, work, talking to the local forager at Whole Foods and mm -hmm. then pitched to them. And then in turn, we kind of like got the package good off the ground. But at that time, Amazing. when I came back, I already knew that I wanted to do soups because I knew that soups was a common thread yeah. in terms of the food profile of like Nigeria and West Africa in general. Yeah. So because when you look at our food, we always have stews. We call it soups, but right. they're stews, right? And we pair them with starches or with grains or like with bread. So for me, I was like, okay, you know what? I love stews. And I also love soup in, as well, because when I was in corporate, right? When I was working for Macy's, whenever <laughs> we're like, we're just always rushing everywhere. We're in right. studios and running around. Soup. So for, yeah. that soup was so convenient and easy for me to like mm -hmm. eat along the way. So for me, I'm like, I love both worlds. So how do I combine Kind of the the hybrid of what I what I've grown up with and both in in both world I've lived in with in Nigeria as well as here so that's when I kind of came up with like you know what soups are what I'm gonna create but I'm not gonna create it in the ways that the American soups are created right mm -hmm. I want that ability to eat it as is but then also the ability to be able to use it as a right. stew so someone that is Nigerian like me if I don't have time to make Nigerian stew because it's going to take me two, three hours to make, mm -hmm. I can just pop it, you know, in the pot, add my meat or like my vegetables right. to it. And I have it within like 30 minutes or I can just eat it as is if I want to. So yeah. that kind of became like the way I kind of created that. And then I started with a glass jar, but then I realized uh, this is not going to work right. <laughs> with a glass jar initially and then ended up figuring out the package um, product itself because one particular retailer that I was going to start up with were not going to carry me if I don't switch right. to a plastic um, right. jar. And that kind of defeated the whole purpose of what I wanted because I wanted something that was clear and transparent. Yep. So that got me into like a spin for at least like two months trying to find a new package. <laughs> because I've, at that time, I've designed the label. Everything was already done. And I'm like, okay, now I have to start from scratch again. And right. then just within a couple of months, I figured all that out. But when I think yeah. back to that particular decision of switching from a package, um, from a glass jar to a plastic container, I realized that saved me so much headache because yeah. in production, you're going to have like a lot of accidents that happen and glass jar when they like break, you know, it, God forbid they break inside the soup, right? Mm -hmm. That means that whole soup is all spoiled. You have to totally. throw them away, right? Yeah. And just even the weight of it is super heavy. Yeah. So when I think about using um, plastic jars now, you yeah. know, like they are super light. And also when they, they when don't break, they don't break yeah. right? Yeah. So for me, that helped a lot. I'm like so grateful that yeah. I wasn't so stubborn to yeah. not shift, but I was <laughs> at least willing to take a look at it, a second look at it and make a different decision. So but yeah. Mm -hmm. We are going to take a quick break and then um, we're going to come back and, and hear how it's been going since you first launched. 
This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I'm back with Yemisi Awosan from Egusi Soups and Stews and Starters and Sauces. (laughs) I just think of them as soups, but I know they're all sorts of things. Yes. Okay, so... Um, so one of the things you mentioned was that, you know, you, I mean, what, I think what I love and what my biggest takeaways from like your story is, is that you, you went in eyes wide open, Mm -hmm. but you also went in, you know, um, you, I don't know. It feels like to me, this balance of like, and this, this sounds very reductive, but but I feel like there are those of us who like are product first brands in a mm. way. Mm-hmm. And then there are brand first brands. And what I mean by that is like, you know, we didn't even really, we just, we just knew that we wanted to create this product because it would make people's lives easier. And we weren't looking at like, there's this, you know, space in the market or, you know, we're going to, this is a very inexpensive thing to make. Like, and I feel like you, you're the same. Like you, Mm -hmm. you come at this from the place of like the product, Mm -hmm. you're not going to skimp on materials. You're not going to skimp on process. And so that is more expensive at the end of the day. You're not Mm -hmm. buying a commodity and putting a really beautiful label on it, which Mm -hmm. is what a lot of businesses have been in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. You are building flavor. You're not taking shortcuts. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that is, that's the harder path. Yes. (laughs) Um, and, and also you, every step of the way you've been very mindful. Um, and one of the things you said before the break was like, you went to, I don't know if it was Ellie or Chris Manka or who, who was the local forager at Ellie Ellie Truesdale. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but you went to her did you go to her before you had a product? Did you go to her when you had prototypes for a product or did you like, how did, because that's a very, you cut, you almost like you cut your, your, your drama time by Mm -hmm. solving for it, by having a customer in a way before you drove yourself crazy. It sounds like. Yes, definitely. And, and, and that's a very, that's like just, that's a great piece of advice. So mm-hmm. to the extent that anyone listening is like, 
if I build it, they will come. That's not necessarily true. No. Maybe get, get them on board first and then build it if mm-hmm. you can. Right. Exactly. And, I, and yeah. I think that a lot of people, again, it's this like mystified version of entrepreneurship. All I have to do is just like put my head down and build this beautiful thing. And then everyone will discover me. That doesn't happen for the most part. Mm-mm. But if you have something and you can build it, like if you have a great direct to consumer brand and you're trying to figure out how to make it go for retail, go find a retailer and ask them mm-hmm. and partner with them and get them bought in and then develop the product for them. Or, mm-hmm. you know, in your case, you just went straight to Ellie and you were like, Hey, I want to make these Nigerian soups. Can you taste them and tell me if I should go ahead and produce them? Like how, how, what was that conversation like? Yeah. So because I already had, um, the product right through the catering and converted it, I had, um, actually had them in glass jar. That was a glass jar. I had them in Mm -hmm. when I presented Mm -hmm. it to Ellie and I presented it to early, um, Ellie through Harlem park to park, which Mm -hmm. is like a non-for-profit organization in Harlem. Um, and I actually didn't know about them. I heard about them through a friend of mine that also had like a black soap company and before mm-hmm. black soap is ever like a trend during that mm-hmm. time. And she told me when I was in Nigeria, she was like, you need to like reach out to Harlem park to park. I was like, okay. So reach out to them, became a member. And then when I came back from Nigeria, I was able to present to Ellie. And even to be honest at that time, I wasn't even thinking about grocery store. I was still thinking mm. more like universities. And the reason why I wanted to do universities, because I started thinking about growing up, like the toothpaste that we use, like that's just as an example, was Colgate that we use at home. So when I got to college, I started buying the things my mom like bought, right? I grew up Mm -hmm. with like the brands. And I was like, realizing like, okay, if you can catch (laughs) students or the kids at an early age, then you grow with them in the lifespan of their life and with your brand. And that's what I kept thinking in my mind of like, you know what? I wanted to do the college university thing. And then someone was like, Whole Foods is here as well. You know, why don't you present to them? And I was like, okay. okay. So, right. so I went to present to Ellie and she loved the food. And also she, there's one particular product that she liked from what I, one of the things I presented to her. And up to this day, she's like, yeah, Missy, when are you going to bring that to the market? So right. <laughs> yet to, uh, but she loved them, you know, and uh, she was like, okay, we're going to get this to, we were supposed to actually launch at the Bryant Park location at wow. that time. Um, but then that was when they made a decision of like, we need to not do glass jar, you know, so right. we need to do plastic. So that kind of delayed me a little bit. And then we launched at um, Harlem store in uh, on 125th. Right, so right. with that, it was just like presenting to her what we had and her like loving the product. And then also me being able to tell the story and share the story of like, I've been doing catering services as well as per- personal chefing using this product and people love it. These are the feedback I'm getting. And that kind of also helped her with the buying for for it as well. Yeah. So, (laughs) and so going back to the, you know, to the sales and the buying, like Mm -hmm. where, where are you now in your sales journey? Not numbers, of course, but like, what are you thinking about? What's on your mind? What's been, what's been surprisingly good? What's been a pain in the neck? Like Mm -hmm. what's, what's on your brain right now? Yeah. So right now, I think um, one of the things that I've, because a lot of people, I'm actually not in all Whole Foods stores, actually. We are just in the Harlem store. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we've not been able to expand into more stores 
for whatever reason that is. Um, But we've been expanding at Fresh Direct, you know, like we've been super, like such a great partner. Yeah. So we've, uh, and that gets us through like the tri-state as well as mid-Atlantic region. Right. Right. Uh, In terms of that. And then we're also in Parks of Co-op, which for me, like, so because yeah, that's I'm also, a huge one. We can't get in huge, there. Oh, <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're like great partners. Like, um, yeah, like they just gobble through like product like crazy. I'm so yeah. surprised by by what happens there. But I think with Fresh Direct as well, like when we launched, actually, with we were we started at um their subsidiary, which is the Food Kick. Right. That's where we were at um in 2017, and then in 2020 we launched with Fresh Direct. And as soon as we launched we just kept getting more orders. We went mm-hmm. from like, I think it was like, they were ordering, I think it was like eight case, like a week. Mm-hmm. And then within like two weeks, it was like 40 cases. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, yeah. you know, so it just kind of like, but one thing I realized was that um, there was this pent up demand, right? Because mm-hmm. we're not necessarily in, in a lot of stores. So, and we constantly ask, people ask us like, well, I've been to this um, Whole Foods and I didn't find you there. Mm -hmm. I've been to that location. I didn't find you there. So I think in turn, people, they want it, but then at the same time, they don't necessarily have the outlets that is easy for them to be able to purchase it from. So that's one of the reasons why now I've even like since last November, I just decided, you know what, I need to focus more on the direct to consumer Mm -hmm. and make sure I can figure out that pricing because it's perishable. That's the hard part. Yeah, exactly. It's so hard to find a way to like ship direct to customer and get the product there, you know, and it's still like edible and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So with that, that comes cost of shipping because your window is like Mm -hmm. super short to deliver to them. You have dry ice, insulated box, all these different things that goes into it. But in a way, my background, right, as a buyer is also pricing, right? Because it's mm-hmm. all about, like, how do you price something I'm gonna call correct? You. <laughs> <laughs> we need help. <laughs> so one of the things I've been, like, working on, like, literally since, like, um, November was how do I get the price of my, my product down on the website? Because right, right well, now, it's hard when, I mean, it like, I don't know, shipping is like $16 Insane. or something. Mm-hmm. So like people are like, oh, what? I'm yes. going to pay what? You know? Exactly. Um, exactly. And yeah. they're like, but that person is like, I can only buy, I pay $5 for it. I'm like, of course, their product is perishable. It can take seven days right. before it gets to you. It's fine. But <laughs> customers right. don't understand that, which is fine. You know, like I that's know. just, you know, the world we live in. But I, I think um, one of the things, <laughs> one of the things I'm work, I've been working on was really figuring out how to drive down the cost because right now we're like $80 for four pack on the website. Mm-hmm. But uh, good news is that in the next couple of weeks, we, I was able to figure out how we could centralize the, uh, our fulfillment center because we're fulfilling out of New York city, you yeah, know, that's awesome. so, and yeah. a lot of our customers actually are in the West, uh, West coast region. Mm-hmm. So, which I'm like, why do people in West coast region buy soups? I don't get it. It's hot there, but they're <laughs> buying soup, but you know what? I'm like, I'm so happy about that. Right. So in turn, so we've been able to figure out how to get our fulfillment to be done in the middle of the country, both in the West coast, as well as in the Midwest. Right. So in turn, that cost, cost down all our costs um, yeah. with shipping. And then, so in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be like uh, launching the new web. Like it's not, it's like a, a website. We're moving our platform to Shopify to make mm-hmm. sure it's much, um, much more e-commerce friendly, yeah. but then we're also like getting the price down as well. So I'm going to be announcing a couple of new pricing so that customers can actually get it at an affordable price because my goal is not necessarily for customers to buy the product at the, 
I don't want it to be, oh, you know what? It's a, it's a treat for me to buy. I want mm-hmm. them to buy on a consistent basis. Right. And that part of that means like making sure the price is right for them yeah. as well. You know, so those yeah. are the things. I mean, it's funny that going back to Fresh Direct for a second, Mm because I was, we were, we were having a team meeting today and, you Mm -hmm. know, part of the, I think you're, it's, they're so beautiful, the soups. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And they, um, there's something about Fresh Direct and like these e-com and, and I don't know, I haven't met, I guess Good Eggs is kind of an equivalent on the Mm -hmm. West Coast and, and there are more of them, you know, they're, they're more popping up for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is like, what's worked for us with Fresh Direct is like, you can just, you see this beautiful pouch or you see this beautiful soup Mm -hmm. and you're not, you don't have to like be looking around the store. It's like right there Mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they're a great place, especially if you're a refrigerated brand Mm -hmm. to launch. They're also just like wonderful to work with. And, And we were just talking today how, you know, a lot of brands in 2020 saw a big uptick, right? Like a lot Mm -hmm. of us were like, oh, wow, you know? (laughs) Um, And then in 2021, we're starting to see, first of all, a bunch of us are having supply chain issues. I don't know if you've had any of that. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I am. (laughs) Almonds, dates, like we're, we, I mean. Even packaging is like, yeah. yeah. Every week I get like a new price increase and I'm like, why is this going up? Oh, the resin is going up. Okay, great. My customers don't care about the resin going up. I know. And they don't even know. Yeah. So it's so fascinating. So between supply chain issues of 2021, plus any buyers that like at least the big retailers, they're Mm -hmm. kicking all of their meetings like a couple months out. So Mm -hmm. what we thought would be on shelf in September might not even be on shelf in 2021. It might be 2022. Exactly. Um, They're all of these like, there are all of these weird things, um, that are happening. And so, you know, our big thought is instead of trying to blow open, you know, 1500 more doors or like try to get into more stores, like the stores that we're in that we're doing well, Mm -hmm. let's just see if we can, you know, add one more skew per store per week or, you know, I mean, in some of them, like let's double our velocity there Mm -hmm. that covers, you know, and the, and you can do that. I mean, I think Fresh Direct is one of those, is one of those retailers that doesn't force you to promote mm-hmm. like exactly. a lot of the other ones do. But when mm-hmm. you do promote, like you get, we did, you, it's way worth it. Yeah. You know, the ROI like, is so much, much better. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You're on their homepage or you mm-hmm. feature, you're yeah. featured in a recipe. In newsletter. Or, mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I think, you know. That's great. And then I know that you also, I mean, you, you've streamlined your operations. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like you've completely outsourced them though. There was an image on your Instagram of a soup pot boiling over. <laughs> As I recall, some yeah. of your stuff is co-packed, some uh-huh. of it you're still making yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Some of it, like the stuff that, um, because one of the things that like you were saying earlier about, I don't want to skimp on the product and, and, you know, on the ingredients and stuff like that. So while even like, you know, finding a co-packer, I've gone, (laughs) I don't understand that. So I've gone through like several co-packers that are just not the greatest. (laughs) And even one that was like, I don't care what the FDA says. And I'm like, Oh great. I'm moving my stuff away from you. I'm sorry. Right. Exactly. But, um, Finally, yeah, I finally I've kind of hit like I met you know met a co-packer now that is 
I feel like they're in line with what my philosophy is. You know, they care right. about the product, they care about the ingredients and they care, like, of course I'm paying for it, you know, like the steps that mm-hmm. I take to be able to produce and get the flavor that I want. It's not about just dumping everything into the kettle and pumping yeah. it out within seconds. You know, it's about really layering the, the, the ingredients so that you can get the right flavor. Yeah. So it's been great to kind of like have that cool packer, but then we also have a couple of um, other, like my new, um, flavor uh, skews that we launched in November, as well as um, the peanut butter because mm-hmm. of the allergen um, portion mm-hmm. of it. Those, it's been a bit hard to find a co-packer for. So yeah. that one I'm still kind of doing in-house uh, with that. So which in a way it's fine because it still allows me to be more closer to the product. Right. I think by nature, I just, I love to cook. And I was like telling someone the other day, I'm like, I'm so happy the pandemic is like, you know, you know, we're slowly but surely like, you know, getting out there. So I'm like, I can't cook for people and actually cook a little bit more than I've yeah. been doing during the pandemic. So that's, that still allows me to I don't, kind of have a hands-on on that. And I have contract workers, right. That right. Do help me out with that. You know, whenever we have the cool, um, we have to do production. I call on to like, um, there's actually one particular cool pack I was going to use that was in the city. And they literally tell me like, if you need any, you know, any, um, staff, you can use our staff too. So they've oh, been wow. like, yeah, I've met, I feel like along the way I've met like so many different people that have been so helpful, like in the right. industry, uh, just helping me along the way, whether it's staffing, whether it's like connecting me with their own contact of like, you know, we have this company that does a trucking, so you can use them for our free. Mm-hmm. So I've just gotten a lot of different like help with yeah. different people along the way. That's been super I think helpful. it's a great community. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's talk a little bit about, because I have had, I've actually had, I, I had another West African soup company, but she's from Canada. Okay. Um, oh, and yeah, it's person. super. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And oh, they, nice. and they don't actually sell in the United States, but mm. it's, it was a similar issue. And mm. it's something that I've talked about with a few founders where, you know, and, and we're like this too, right? Like we, we're not, we're not offering something like completely unheard of in mm-hmm. the world. And yet mm-hmm. like chimichurri in a pouch in the refrigerator mm-hmm. is a lot mm-hmm. for, um, consumers mm-hmm. to understand, for mm-hmm. buyers to understand. Mm-hmm. I had no idea when we started this, that it was like, people had these tracks and if you went slightly off the track, mm-hmm. it was like the track exploded. <laughs> so, you know, I'm thinking about you and I'm thinking, you know, soup, people are used to soup in a can. Mm-hmm. They're used to soup. They're getting, and maybe they're starting to think about soup in a pouch. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not thinking about soup in the refrigerator. Yep. And they're also um, not thinking about, you know, soup, in flavors that they aren't used to. Mm-hmm. And they also aren't quite used to thinking about soup as more than soup. Yeah. Right. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're redefining what soup is mm-hmm. similar to the way we're kind of redefining what sauce is. Exactly. Right. It's been mm-hmm. very siloed. Yeah. You have this and then, and that's a dressing and that's a marinade. And <laughs> exactly. like, no, it's all the, that's you can all do the everything thing, with guys. it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, but are you, where do you, it's, it's almost like, you know, I don't play football, but I almost feel like I'm like tackling four or five different things at the same time. And, and, and you don't have anyone doing that with you. Mm -hmm. Um, how, how, how do you think about it? Like what, what is your priority number one Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like you have people coming to you, which mm-hmm. is great that mm-hmm. want the product. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you get through sort of that and you're able to produce for those people and you're thinking about sort of like consumer education and getting it out there, what's the most important thing? Is it, is it the, is it the flavor profile? Is it the freshness? Is it, um, using it in multiple day parts and not just thinking of it as something for when you're cold, mm-hmm. you know, how, what, what are your, how do you think about how it? How do I tackle it? Yeah. So like I realized when I first launched, I was just strictly doing, like I was making as a soup as well as a sauce, but I wasn't necessarily calling out the sauce portion of it mm-hmm, or how mm-hmm. you can use it as an, ex, you know, like you can use it to extend a meal, you know? Right. So I wasn't thinking, I, I, I wasn't like, really honing in on that. But then I realized one of the things I started doing was like kind of think about it a little bit in silos too, where like by season, I will say. So when it's like during the hot season, um, during the cold season, I find like one of the strategy I've kind of created was like, I'm going to hone in more on the soup as is, you know, while kind Mm -hmm. of sprinkling in a little bit of like, you can use it as a meal as well. And then during Mm -hmm. the summer, one of the things that I've been trying to figure out, like I didn't do, I'm not doing it as good as I could this um, this year, but I remember in 2018, I literally during the summer tackle it more during that time was like, you know what, you can use it as a meal, as a recipe starter, as a simmering Mm -hmm. sauce, you know? So I started creating, um, me and Cause even though we, like, I don't have a team, right. I have a friend of mine that takes picture. My brothers take picture and a couple of um, other people that I've kind of like worked with, they yeah. do take picture and I do like tear sheets a lot <laughs> just right. from my fashion background. So like, and then I tell them like, okay, I want the soup to look this way. So me and then we'll do the oh, styling wow. no, of the different dishes. <laughs> that's No, that's really helpful because yeah. I think a lot of people, okay, back up a little bit. <laughs> okay. Tell me what you tell me. Cause you're basically saying you're not taking all the pictures, yeah. but you do have an aesthetic and you want <laughs> it to look a certain way. Yeah. So what is the tear sheet? What is that? So Yeah. So when I was in retail, right. When I was doing, buying I actually did private label buying as well where we didn't have a designer so I always came into the new into New York City and we'll go to like Bogdov Goodman or all these different places and buy like you know designer clothing or prints or whatever it might be and then we'll come into the office we're like we like this and we can kind of like modernize it and like kind of mm-hmm. modify into what we think our customers will like right because as a mm-hmm. buyer you're kind of like part creative, you know, like a psychologist because you're trying to get into a consumer's head. So in turn, one of the the skills I brought into like my food business is also that I have an aesthetic that I'm looking like I want to create. Right. Mm -hmm. And I have a friend or like, you know, my brother or somebody that's like also taking the pictures for me. So I have an idea of what I want it to look like. Sometimes I can describe it, but people might not necessarily understand that. But if I have like a tear sheet, which is like a picture of somebody that's taking out something similar Mm -hmm. to what I want. I can show them as a guide. Like I want it similar to something like this. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to literally copy this, but I want you to kind of make something similar to this because it, like a pin board board, so because it evokes whatever feeling that I want to like capture in that you know because one of my main thing also was when I created a brand I know that if I make like for example like pounded yam and igusi and I just slap it on the on the plate and the sauce I I like what it I know what it tastes like right but Mm -hmm. during that time a lot of pictures that you see of like I for me personally of West African food at that time it wasn't pleasing to the eye. Right. So one of the things I thought to myself was, I do want to make sure that 
it's pleased because we eat with our eyes too. Mm-hmm. So how do I do that and capture people's attention? Right. Soups and stews yeah. aren't known for being like, right. They're, exactly. They're, so, it's a bowl of, you know, something. Right. As, yeah. Exactly. So that was kind of like the whole idea. So I really do spend a lot of yeah. time thinking through like, what are the image? Like I want the product to like, to taste great because yeah. in, the, in the end, that's what you're going to buy and you're going to, try it and if you hate it you're not going to come back right so but for me i want the flavor to be there and to taste but then also visually i want it to also match that as well so that's one of the things i'm so conscious of yeah (laughs) i mean i think i think you you know we always talk about we want to show fresh and we want to show versatile Mm -hmm. um yeah and i think you know i mean my team is amazing and i you know i'm i've worked with with them (laughs) yeah Yeah, i mean you know um but i would but that's hard to do on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. The last question mm-hmm. is, and it's funny because I usually end with like, what's your biggest piece of advice or mm-hmm. what's the best thing, but there was a quote that you had from your mother, mm-hmm. um, that I would personally like to end with mm-hmm. if you don't mind. Cause I mm-hmm. think it's really beautiful and mm-hmm. it's basically when you're having a hard time, when you're having a good time, when you're crying, when you're laughing, mm-hmm. it sounds like she says, this also is a part of your story. Definitely. Um, <laughs> and I, I just, I love that because mm-hmm. it just means that there, it's like, there are no mistakes. There mm-hmm. are no disasters yes. there. It's all a part of the story. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd love, you know, for your last, you know, final imparting words to, Mm -hmm. you know, anything that you want to share along those lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the, you know, sometimes people will ask the questions like, what is the biggest mistake you've had, you know, Mm -hmm. like doing this business? Like one of the things that, like that advice, just literally like what you just said, gave me when my mom told, like tells me about it. And she told me about this almost a year ago when something happened and I was like crying about it. (laughs) And she was like, this also is part of your story. And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. you know, so in a way, whether it's a, I might term it as a mistake, it's not a mistake, you know, or a disappointment. It's not a disappointment because it's part of what's the building block and the foundation for what Igusi is and what yet Uyemisi is as well, right? Because mm-hmm. it's getting me to be more mature uh, and growing the business and getting it to the direction it needs to go to. And also it kind of shifts me also out of that thing of like, oh, I need to be going this straight path. Mm-hmm. If I turn a corner, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with turning a corner mm-hmm. and not going straight the way I want it to because there's a learning in that mm-hmm. process as well, right? And there's mm-hmm. a building block and which in, in turn, allows me to kind of come here and tell that story and perhaps it might help somebody else as well yeah. as we build their business too. So yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, Missy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, people so can much. find you at Igusi Foods, but mm-hmm. it's E-G-U-N-S-I Foods. Exactly. Um, so really do everyone try, try these soups and stews and, and play with them. They're, they're so beautiful and they're so yummy and just delicious. Um, Amanda, thank you for engineering as always. And listeners, thank you for listening. Um, thank you for the feedback. I, I do read the emails and the DMs and I'm very grateful for them. Sometimes when you are in the food world, you feel like, um, you're sort of speaking into the void a lot of the time, (laughs) but, um, I'm glad it's helpful and I'll continue doing more episodes and, um, 
Everyone stay tuned next week. I'll be back with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.